Uh, let me just say before we start heading toward the message and before Tyler sits down, I just want to thank uh, Senator Harper uh, and all of the legislature for passing the uh, infant fetal heartbeat, what was the name of the bill? I can't think of The fetal heartbeat bill. And I know that uh, Georgia's been threatened by all the Hollywood elites. They won't come to Georgia anymore. But, you know, basically that bill protects, and you correct me, Tyler, if I'm wrong, but once there's a heartbeat, then, uh, you know, that, that baby cannot be aborted. And, uh, you know, I, I preach on that every year, and I believe strongly in uh, defending life, and that life begins at conception. And sometimes you need to, as the old saying goes, put your money where your mouth is. And, and I appreciate y'all, Tyler. And you voted for it. I checked. Yeah, you voted for it. <laughs> I'm watching you. We're watching you. But thank you. Thank you. And I think the governor has already said he's going to sign it. So, uh, so appreciate that. Thank you very much. Let's just give him a hand. I appreciate it. Well, take your Bible, if you will, and turn to 1 Samuel chapter 18. 1 Samuel chapter 18. And uh, this morning we are going to be talking about the value of a true friend. The value of a true friend. You know, last Sunday we uh, examined David as he defeated Goliath. And there's probably... In David's life, you have to imagine up to that point in his life, that was probably the most amazing thing he had ever encountered. David was probably around 15 years old. He was a teenager. We don't know exactly, but probably around 15, 16 years old. And remember, he's, he's too young to be in the army. We know that. He's at home tending to the sheep. He goes and, and uh, he, he just sees Goliath defying the people of Israel, defying the armies of Israel, defying God. And David speaks up and says, hey, why doesn't somebody go out and fight this guy? And uh, David, as you know, he goes out and just really in the simplicity of his young faith. And by the way, do you know why, if you look back at the history of revivals in the history of Christianity when there were great movements of God, do you know where most of them started? No matter what generation or what year it was, if we're talking about the Great Awakening, most of the time those revivals started with the youth of the church. Because sometimes as we get older, you know, we, we, we go through heartaches and disappointments and, and our faith gets a little, it just gets a little hard. You know, our, our faith is not what it used to be and, and we don't want to get hurt again so we kind of get conservative and we, we draw in. We don't want to try anything new. We don't want to step out on faith, but the young, the young are ready to step out. And that was David as a teenager. Here were all these older men, wiser men, and they were afraid to take on Goliath. But David, he just, he didn't have any better sense than to believe God in, in his youth and with the passion of his youth. And he stepped out, and we all know the story. We preached on it last Sunday. With, with a sling and a stone, he slew Goliath, cut his head off, and a great victory was won. For the Lord. And now David, as you can imagine, everybody loves David. He's the hero of the moment. But now that was a mountaintop experience. But now David's coming down off that mountaintop. And aren't you glad that you don't know the future? Now most of us think, boy, I'd like to know the future. 
And really, if we could change the future, we would like to know it so we could make adjustments and that bad things wouldn't happen. But if you knew the future, all the joy of the present would be gone. You couldn't enjoy the present for what you knew was coming in the future. But God does know the future. And David, when he was standing on top of the corpse of Goliath and he had won that great victory, uh, no doubt he had great excitement and he had no idea what was about to happen to him. All of a sudden in the 18th chapter, things are going to begin to happen. This Saul, his king that he had great allegiance to, was going to turn against David. And he was going to try to kill David. David was going to be loved, but he was also going to be hated. But God, as His Word promises, He promises that He will give us the strength and He will give us what is necessary to face whatever the future brings. And I want us to examine in the 18th chapter of 1 Samuel one of the great classic stories of David's life. Goliath is certainly one of those stories. But the next one is the friendship between Jonathan, the son of Saul, who was the heir apparent to the throne of Israel, and young David. And you see, the Lord, had it not been for Jonathan, if you read the story of David, if it were not for the friendship of Jonathan, David would have been killed. Because so often Jonathan would step in and defend David. He would give David a heads up about what was going to happen. And it was that friendship with Jonathan that allowed David to survive what was going to happen as he went into a valley after the great mountaintop experience of defeating Goliath. He would go into a valley of persecution and being chased by Saul and eventually he would even go out and be living in caves. But he was able to overcome that partly because of the friendship of Jonathan. And I want us to begin this morning talking about the value of a true friend. Someone once said that if you have one true friend in your lifetime, count yourself blessed. Now we have a lot of acquaintances, people we know, and, and people that we are, are friendly with and are friendly with us. But it's different to have a true friend. And I want us to see what a true friend does. And, and I don't want you to sit there and start judging your friends by this. I want you to judge yourself. And I want to judge myself. Am I this kind of friend to the people that I call my friends? Am I the friend that Jonathan was to David? Or am I what we might call a fair weather friend? And I'm afraid that most of us will not stack up very well when we look at the friend that Jonathan was to David. Well, look there in 1 Samuel chapter 18. And uh, the Bible says in verse number 1, Now when he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Saul took him that day and would not let him go home to his father's house anymore. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan took off the robe that was on him and gave it to David with his armor, even to his sword and his bow and his belt. The first thing that we see in verse 1 is that Jonathan loved him as his own soul. 
The first thing about a friend is they truly care about you. Jonathan loved, he didn't love what David had done, the fact that David was a hero. He didn't love the fact that that David was just fill in the blank, whatever wonderful thing there was about David. The Bible says he loved David. Not for what he did, but for who he was. He loved him as his own soul. And when we think about love, remember 1 Corinthians 13. The Bible tells us what love means. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. Love is not boastful. Love is not conceited. Love does not act improperly. Love is not selfish. Love is not easily provoked. Love does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things. Love believes all things. Love hopes all things. Love endures all things. Love never ends. True friends love. They genuinely care about you. And if you are a true friend to someone else, you have to ask yourself, do I like this person and and am I friendly to this person because of what this person can do for me? Because of this person's position or their power? or uh, Why? Why am I friendly to this person? Why do I, 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 I care for this person? Or do I really and truly care for that person? Nothing to do with what they can do for me, but I just simply care for them. And I am like this definition that Paul gives of love. A true friend loves at all times. And Jonathan's soul, the Bible says, was knit to the soul of David. Jonathan truly loved David. You know, Proverbs 18.24 said, There is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And remember, I talked about this a couple of weeks ago. When you read the Bible, especially the Old Testament, don't just read it as a a book and words about something that happened a long time ago, about people that you have never met and, and, and were dead and gone thousands of years before you were ever conceived. Remember that the Old Testament, the Bible tells us, speaks of Jesus. So if you will read the Old Testament and look for Jesus in every page, I guarantee you, you'll find Him. And here in this story of Jonathan and David, David is certainly a type of Jesus in terms of of his whole life, but I think you see a smaller type of Jesus in Jonathan, in the friendship that Jesus has to each of us. And remember, Jesus said that He came not to minister, but to be ministered unto Although really Jesus, as the Son of God, we should have been ministering to Him, yet He ministered to us. And in this situation, Jonathan is the prince of Israel. He is the heir apparent. David uh, should be the one serving Jonathan as just a poor shepherd boy. But yet Jonathan puts himself in a position to serve David. And I think there's a wonderful picture there of what Jesus, He humbled Himself. And he became of no reputation. And he served you and I who were unworthy. And so the first thing that Jonathan does is he loves David. But notice verse 3. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant. And because he loved him as his own soul, and Jonathan took off the robe that was on him and gave it to David, and his armor, even to his sword and his bow and his belt. A true friend loves, but 
You know, love is worthless without giving. I've told this story before, but I love it about two old men sitting on a porch. And uh, one man, they've been friends all their life. And uh, one man says to the other, he said, he said, Jim, he said, he said, if, if you had two houses, would you give me one? He said, Bill, listen, I love you. You're my friend. We've been together since childhood. If I had to, can I live in two houses? Of course I'd give you uh, one house if I had two houses. He said, well, that makes me feel good. He said, well, if, if you had two cars, would you give me one? He said, man, I have already told you, I love you. Anything that's mine is yours. How many cars can I drive at the time? One. If I've got two cars, I'll give you one of my cars. He said, if you had two hogs, would you? He said, no, you, you, Jim, you, you know better than that. You know i got two hogs. You hush that. <laughs> that's so true. We like to stand up and wax eloquent about what we would do if I only could do it. If it was within my power, I'd do anything I could to help you out, son. Could I borrow your car, son? I, you can't use that car. <laughs> We're always willing to give what it is not within our power to give. But Jonathan, here, he loved David, and he proved that he loved David, and he proved that he was a true friend because he was willing to give. What did he give? He first of all gave his promise. It says they made a covenant. Now a covenant is simply a contract. It is a promise. And they, and they made a promise to one another. So first of all, Jonathan gave David his word. He gave him his promise. And then secondly, the Bible says he took off his robe and he gave it to him. He gave him his position. And we're going to find in just a moment that David does exactly... The robe represents his position as the prince. And as David's friend, he says, I'm giving you my covenant. I'm covenanting with you that I will be faithful as a friend to you. And then he says, I'm giving you my robe. And, and Jonathan was going to use the position he had to defend David. He was willing to give him his robe to say, listen, you're my friend. Whatever position I have, in essence, that is your position as well. And then he gave him, the Bible says, his armor, his sword, his bow, and his belt. That represented his power. All the power that he possessed, those weapons of war. Jonathan says, I pledge to you, I give to you my promise, I give to you my position, and I give to you my power. Jonathan says, I've got your back, David. If anyone harms you, they've got to go through me. I will stand with you. I will stand beside you. I am your friend. Not in word only, but in deed. I love you and I give to prove that I love. Well, that is put to the test in the next chapter. And we're just going to skip over there and look at verse number 1 of chapter 19. There the Bible says that Saul spoke to Jonathan his son and to all his servants. Now, of course, John, Saul has become very jealous of David by this point, And Saul is eaten up by jealousy. He's really gone insane with jealousy. And the Bible says he spoke to Jonathan his son to, and to all his servants that they should kill David. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted greatly in David. So Jonathan told David, saying, My father Saul seeks to kill you. Therefore, please be on your guard until morning and stay in a secret place and hide. And I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where you are. And I will speak with my father about you that then what I observe I will tell you. 
Thus Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul his father and said to him, Let not the king sin against his servant, against David, because he has not sinned against you, and because his works have been very good toward you. For he took his, he took his life in his own hands and killed the Philistine. And the Lord brought about a great deliverance for all Israel. You saw it and rejoiced. Why then will you sin against innocent blood to kill David without a cause? So Saul heeded the voice of Jonathan, and Saul swore, As the Lord lives, he shall not be killed. Then Jonathan called David, and Jonathan told him all these things. So Jonathan brought David to Saul, and he was in his presence as in times past. A true friend defends. Jonathan had the ability to help David. He had a position as the son of Saul. And he, he took that position in hand and he stood up for, for young David to his father. And he says, Dad, you're, you're wrong. What you're doing is wrong. You, you shouldn't be trying to kill David. David is a faithful servant. He won a great victory for you. Don't do this. And you know, Saul was, he was so wishy-washy. And uh, at that moment, Saul relents and says, you know what? You're, you're right. I'm, I'm wrong. I, I, I will not hurt David. So, so Jonathan, for that period at least, he reconciles David and Saul. And, and David comes back into the palace. And just as before, they're all together again. But you see, Saul, Jonathan, who was a true friend, he loved David. He was willing to give for David. And he was willing to defend David, even against his own family. His own father, he was willing to defend David. Well, something else Jonathan did, and that's over in chapter 20. And I think it's a wonderful picture of their friendship. And again, Saul is trying to kill David, and, and Jonathan's trying to protect David. And, and uh, Jonathan warns David, and, and we pick up in verse 41, and, and they meet together. And it says in verse 41, As soon as the lad had gone... David arose from a place toward the south, fell on his face to the ground, and bowed down three times. And they kissed one another, and they wept together, but David more so. And Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, since we have both sworn in the name of the Lord, saying, May the Lord be between you and me, and between your descendants and my descendants forever. So he arose and departed, and Jonathan went into the city. You know something about a true friend. You see two people here, Jonathan and David, and, and, and Jonathan has just saved David's life, and, and he's, David's going to have to go away and, and run away or else Saul is going to kill him. And, and David is weeping. And you see these two men here who are not putting on airs. Jonathan accepts David as he is. You know, a true friend, you don't have to worry about putting on airs in front of them. They accept you as you are. And here's David. He's, he's just weak. The Bible says they both wept, but David wept more. You know, David perhaps was a more emotional person than Jonathan. I don't know, but for whatever reason, David was really, really... You know, there's crying and then there's crying. You know, the, the, there's a little tear that comes down your cheek and then there's weeping. And that's what we have. It's not a little tear that's trickling down David's cheek. I mean, he is, he is in a deep weeping. And, and he's not ashamed because Jonathan is his friend. Jonathan's not laughing at him. They're friends. And my friend, count yourself blessed if you have a friend that you can be who you really are in front of them. 
You don't have to worry about putting on your Sunday best. You don't have to worry about impressing that person. You don't have to worry about they're going to go back and talk about you to some other friend. This friend loves you. This friend cares for you. This friend defends you. And this friend accepts you as you are. Well, one last thing that Jonathan did for David. Look in verse 20, chapter 23 and verse 16. Again, Saul is trying to kill David. And Jonathan is always trying to, to run interference and to protect David. And we find in verse 16 of chapter 23, the Bible says, Then Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David in the woods and strengthened his hand in God. And he said to him, Do not fear, for the hand of Saul my father shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Even my father Saul knows that. And the two of them made a covenant before the Lord, and David stayed in the woods, and Jonathan went to his own house. And notice that phrase in verse 16. It says, Then Jonathan went to David and strengthened his hand in the Lord. Some translations simply say he encouraged him in the Lord. And that's the last thing about a true friend. A true friend loves, and a true friend gives, and a true friend defends and a true friend accepts you as you are, but a true friend also encourages. A true friend is there not to put you down, but to give you a word that strengthens your spirit when you're down. Gives you a word that encourages you. Gives you a word that lifts you up and gives you hope in a time when you are hopeless. Again, I say David would not have, have made it through this dark time, this valley in his life after that mountaintop experience of defeating Goliath, Goliath had he not had a true friend named Jonathan. You think, my goodness, David, we, we think about David being some great king. Let me tell you, it doesn't matter how important a person is, how wealthy a person is, how beautiful a person is, everybody needs a friend. I heard this one time. A lot of folks said, boy, I wish I was rich. Well, you know, if you were rich, if you all of a sudden won the lottery and you got millions of dollars, a lot of your problems would go away. You could make that car payment. You could build, hey, just forget that addition we was going to put on the house. Just build a new one. Just rent that one out. A lot of your problems would go away. But all of a sudden, a new crop of problems would come up. I think it was Adrian Rogers that I heard say, you know, a rich man's got a problem a lot of folks, well, a lot of us don't have. He said he's sitting around, he's got his niece and his nephew there. They've come over to his house and he tells a joke and they both just bust out laughing. That's the funniest joke I've ever heard. That's so funny, uncle. And then his niece says, can I get a pillar for your head, uncle? Can I, can I get you a glass of water, uncle? But what uncle's thinking as they're scurrying about trying to tend to his needs, do they really like me or they just want my money? You see, a rich man all of a sudden has problems that a poor man doesn't have. He begins to suspect everybody. They're after my money. They're after what I can give them. Who really loves me? I wish I knew. You see, a poor man doesn't have... I mean, if somebody's friendly to a poor man, he just, hey, they like me. Because I don't have anything they want. I know they're not after me for what I can. I can't do anything for them. But you think about that. A wealthy person, a powerful person, has to always be suspicious of other people. Do they love me? 
Or do they simply love what I can do for them? Or do they simply love what I can give them? And you see, even wealthy, powerful people yearn for genuine friendship. You see how much harder it is for a powerful, wealthy person to find a true friend? Because they never know. Do they really love me? But my friend, everybody, everybody needs a true a true friend. And Jonathan was that to David. Well, one last thing as we get ready to close. I want to tell you one of the ways that David made it through this difficult time when Saul was chasing him. And by the way, this lasted about 15 years. David was about 15 years old probably when he slew Goliath. He was a teenager. And Saul, and, and, and we're going to read about it a little bit later and hate to spoil it for you if you don't know the story of, of David and Jonathan. But you know, Jonathan dies in battle alongside his father Saul later in, in, uh, in, in 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel. And David is about 30 years old when this happens. And David is, is crowned king then after the death of Saul and Jonathan. So about 15 years this goes on where Saul is trying to kill David off and on between repenting and saying, no, I shouldn't be doing that. And then he gets mad and says, yes, I'm going to kill him. And Jonathan stays faithful. He's always protecting David, always defending David, always encouraging David all throughout those 15 years. Jonathan is always there. But there is something else that David did that enabled him to make it through. Not just the friendship he had with Jonathan, but it was something that you find in chapter 18 and verse number 5. There's a phrase there I think that is very important. In 1 Samuel 18 verse 5 it says, So David went out wherever Saul sent him and behaved wisely. Now, depending on what translation you have, it may say prospered or it may say behaved wisely. But in chapter 18 in the New King James that I use, it uses the phrase behaved wisely. But regardless of what it uses in your English translation, each of those uh, five instances, or I'm sorry, each of those four instances that it is mentioned there, they are, it's the Hebrew word, S-A-K-A-L, sackle. And that word is found in Proverbs 10.19, also in Proverbs 21.11, and, and it really means to be wise. It means to be a person who understands what is going on around you and who acts in an appropriate way. And the Bible says that in chapter 18 of 1 Samuel, four different times it uses that phrase, and David behaved wisely. David behaved wisely. Now think about the things that David went through in chapter 18. He, he went through people praising him. He went through Saul trying to kill him. He went through the Philistines trying to kill him. But yet in all those situations, he behaved wisely. And I mentioned Proverbs 10.9 and Proverbs 21.11. That word, S-A-K-A-L, is used there. And it's interesting that it's used in two ways. In Proverbs 10.19, it says, When there are many words, sin is unavoidable. But the one who controls his lips is... Sackle, S-A-K-A-L, the same word used where David behaved wisely. He is wise. And then in Proverbs 21.11, it's used again. It says, when the scoffer is punished, the simple is made wise. But when the wise is instructed, there's that word sackle, he receives knowledge. So if you look at those two areas in Proverbs and you see that David behaved wisely, there's two things in Proverbs. If There's a lot of things, I'm sure, but just two that we'll take today. Number one... 
You know one of the wisest things you can do to keep yourself out of trouble? Keep your mouth shut. When in doubt, let's see, I have to remember how that goes. It's better to be thought a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt, right? And that's so true. But there's so many times that when you don't know what to say, just, just be quiet. And even better than that, when you think you know what to say, when you want to give us a piece of your mind to somebody, often it's best to be quiet. Now, there is a time to speak up. Don't misunderstand me. There is a time to speak up. But one of, the, one of the attributes of being wise, and I think one of the things that made David wise, is he knew when to just, just be quiet. You know, David was in, 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 in Saul's palace, and he would play that harp, and, and doesn't say anything about David speaking a lot. He mainly just played. And I think that's a good, a good just do what it is you've been given to do, and, and don't opine on things that uh, really are not your business, so to speak. You know, learn how to keep your mouth shut and you'll keep yourself out of a lot of trouble. A second thing in Proverbs 21.11, it says, when the scoffer is punished, the simple is made wise, but when the wise is instructed, that word instructed is that word sackle, that same word that's used four times to refer to David in 1 Samuel. That reminds us that number one, if, we, if we'll be quiet, keep our mouth shut, and number two, be teachable. It doesn't matter if you're 15 or 50 or 90, all of us can still learn. And one of the things that we need to always be teachable, don't ever get to the point that you think you know everything or you think someone else is too stupid to instruct you. I can't learn anything from them. They're so stupid. Well, I, I tell you what, you can learn from anybody, even a fool. You can learn not to be liking, just watching. Anybody can teach you. They don't have to be wise to teach you. Sometimes you learn from what a fool does. Just don't follow him. Don't follow his example. Be teachable. And David, at this point in his life, was both teachable and he knew when to be quiet. Now, just, just quickly, uh, if you look in verse 5 through 7, he, was, he behaved himself wisely when he was praised by people. It says, So David went out whenever Saul sent him and behaved wisely. And Saul set him over the men of war, and he was accepted in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. And it happened as they were coming home when David was returning from the slaughter of the Philistine that the women had come out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with joy, and with musical instruments. So the women sang as they danced and said, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands. Then Saul was very angry, and the saying displeased him, and he said, They have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed only thousands. Now what more can he have but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day forward. David was wise when being praised. And by the way, when we're being praised, that's a good time to keep our mouth shut. As a matter of fact, the Bible says, let others praise you and not your own lips. It's often we get in the most trouble when we are being acclimated and praised. And Saul, David was being praised by all the people, but he behaved himself wisely. He knew how to behave himself when everybody was bragging on him. Everybody was saying what a great man he was. Well, 
In verse 8 through 15, I just read, not only when being praised by people was David wise, but when being persecuted by friends, David was wise. I already read you in verse 8 and 9 how Saul became jealous. In verse 10 it says, And it happened on the next day that the distressing spirit from God came upon Saul, and he prophesied inside the house. And David played music with his hand as at other times. But there was a spear in Saul's hand, and Saul cast the spear, for he said, I will pin David to the wall. But David escaped his presence twice. Now Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him. But he departed, but had departed from Saul. Therefore Saul removed him from his presence and made him his captain over a thousand. And he went out and came in before the people. And David behaved wisely in all his ways, and the Lord was with him. Therefore when Saul saw that he behaved very wisely, he was afraid of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David because he went out and came in before them. So here's Saul, his friend, a one who had given him a very important position in the palace, tries to kill him. But the Bible says David behaved wisely. He behaved wisely when everybody was singing and praising and, and saying he was such a great guy. Then when he's persecuted by his friend, King Saul, he also behaves wisely in that aspect. And then in the last part of chapter 18, one more time it mentions that David behaved wisely. It says there in verse number 30, Then the prince of the Philistines went out to war. And so it was whenever they went out that David behaved more wisely than all the servants of Saul so that his name became highly esteemed. David behaved wisely not only when he was praised by people, not only when he was persecuted by friends, but he behaved wisely when he was pursued by his enemies. When he faced the Philistines, those who were his enemies, he behaved in a wise way. We don't know the future. You might be on a mountaintop right now, and I don't want you to know the future. If you're on a mountaintop, enjoy it. Thank God for it. But recognize that the valley is coming. The valley's coming for all of us. You may be in a valley right now. You may be in a difficult time right now. Whether you're headed into the valley or you're already in it or maybe you're coming out, I just want to give you these two things from today that I've shared with you. These are gifts from God, I believe, to help us through the valley. Number one is a true friend. You, you got somebody you consider a true friend, don't judge their friendship, but you be a good friend to them. Be a good friend to somebody. You remember how the Bible says it's more blessed to give than to receive? To give and it will be given unto you, pressed down, shaken together, running over. We always think about money when we, when we quote that verse. Let me challenge you. Don't think about money when you quote that verse. Think about friends today when you quote that verse. Don't sit there saying, I ain't got no friends, Brother William. I wish I had a friend. Nobody loves me. I'm sorry if I'm making fun of you. And I'm not making fun of you. But I'm saying, don't, don't be that way. <clears throat> Give and it will be given unto you. Good measure, pressed out. Do you, want a, do, you, do you want a true friend? You know the biblical way to get a true friend? Find somebody that you think you can be a friend to. Amen. Be a friend to that person. With no thought of, of needing a friend yourself. No thought of, I wish I had a friend that was like Jonathan. That would defend me and be true to me and... 
and, and love me unconditionally and accept me as I am. Boy, I wish I had a friend like that. Well, do you want a friend like that? You know the Bible way to get a friend? Be that kind of friend to somebody else. And if you really want to get the Bible away, give it to, give it to somebody uh, that's not deserving. That's really the Bible way to do it. But find a person that you can be a friend to. And don't expect anything in return. And my friend, that promise of God, I believe, will come true to give and it will be given back to you. That's not talking. It could, it could refer to money, but it's so much more than money. It's talking about the important things of life. Be a friend to somebody. And then, secondly, the way David made it through this difficult time of Saul trying to kill him. Not only did he have a good friend, Jonathan, that he could find solace and comfort in, but he behaved himself wisely. He didn't lose his head. He didn't let the circumstances around him cause him to do foolish, stupid things. Now, yes, he is one day going to do that. And that's a whole other sermon. But it's interesting to me that do you know when David made his greatest mistake? Not when he was under the greatest pressure. Not when he was running from Saul. People were trying to kill him. You know when it was? It was when he was reclining at home in the palace. Every other people are doing the fighting for David now. They've gone out to war and he's at the house taking it easy. That's when David fell. Not when he was in the midst of battle. Not when he was out there fighting to stay alive. It was when he thought everything was fine and he relaxed himself. And he didn't have to, he didn't have to exert himself anymore. But in this point, that's another sermon. Which just can't, we'll get on that later. But today, David is in struggling. He's struggling. And the way he makes it through that is a good friend and behaving himself wisely. So, I encourage you. Be a friend to somebody. I encourage you. Be like David. Be humble, self-controlled, forgiving, hardworking. Don't be like Saul, full of jealousy and envy and paranoia about everybody who's trying to take what he has. I want to be like David. I also want to be like Jonathan. To be that friend. And to have a friend like that. And I encourage and I challenge you to do that today. The value of a true friend. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the story of David and Jonathan. That reminds us how important it is to be a friend to somebody. How important it is to have a friend that can put his arm around us and encourage us in times of difficulty and trial. And Father, I pray that we will focus not so much on having a friend, but we will focus on being a friend to someone, putting our arm around somebody and giving them encouragement, giving them, Lord, a word from You, a word of love and a word of forgiveness and a word of hope. Father, I pray that you will help us to be wise as David was, even while being persecuted wrongly and suffering. Father, that you will help us to behave ourselves wisely through the power of the Holy Spirit. If there's one here this morning that doesn't know Jesus as Lord, I pray that you'll draw them by your Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we stand and sing a hymn of invitation, if you're here this morning, maybe the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart. I invite you to come and pray as we sing.